situational analysis of pelvic examination learning materials for medical students. Author, Sarah Toll. Part one, introduction. Patient-centered and culturally competent care are championed in medical education as overlapping methods of improving patient experiences and minimizing health disparities. Arguably, these approaches hold added significance in sensitive procedures such as the pelvic examination. Both the examination's proclivity for patient vulnerability and its associated health disparities highlight the necessity of these approaches when the examination is clinically administered. Patient-centered care has origins in the mid-20th century. Influenced by the women's health movement, it emerged partly as backlash to both illness-oriented medicine and medical paternalism. Though it has been adopted as a model of practice by clinicians, medical educators, and healthcare institutions, debate remains surrounding the definition of patient-centered care. Fundamentally, patient-centered care revolves around the idea of the clinician knowing the patient as a person, in addition to accurately diagnosing disease. Values and tenets of this approach include acknowledging the patient in the context of their social worlds, providing accurate and timely medical information, respecting patient preferences, and engaging patients in informed decision-making. Aligned with patient-centered care, cultural competence in medicine refers to the ability to treat patients of diverse social and cultural backgrounds. Administering culturally competent care involves having both an awareness of patient background and how that background affects power differentials in clinical encounters, as well as providing potential cultural accommodations. Though there have been considerable moves to incorporate cultural competence into the medical school curriculum, challenges remain in its framing and learner resistance. It is said that clinical skills are often prioritized in the curricula and favored by students over the quote-unquote soft science of cultural competence. The pelvic exam consists of an inspection of the external genitalia, a speculum examination of the vagina and cervix, where samples may be taken, a bimanual examination of the adnexa, uterus, ovaries, and bladder, and sometimes a rectal or rectovaginal examination. Though an outpatient procedure, it is noted for causing physical and psychological iatrogenic effects bleeding, cramping, discomfort or pain, as well as feelings of fear, anxiety, vulnerability, shame, embarrassment, degradation, and loss of control and dignity. Negative reactions have been shown to be heightened in young patients, survivors of sexual assault, members of the LGBTQ community, and Black women. Gynecological health disparities persist in these populations and have been linked to previous negative experiences with the examination. Feminist scholars and providers, backed by research findings, have long noted the importance of patient-centeredness and cultural competence in pelvic health care. Modifications known to generally improve patient experience include allowing for chaperones, forgoing the use of footrests, ceasing the routine bimanual examination, deemed by some to be medically unnecessary, and offering speculum self-insertion. Other modifications may be of value for specific populations, checking in on preferred terminology for body parts, 
gender diverse patients, as well as ensuring control of the examination remains with the patient, survivors, and or anxious patients. Patient self-sampling for human papillomavirus, a recent development, improves patient participation in cervical cancer screening, is preferred among trans and indigenous patients, and results in increased follow-up in underscreened populations when a positive result is found. It has been suggested that more effective awareness strategies are needed in medical training regarding some of these approaches, given their lack of clinical uptake. Strides have been made in the medical curriculum to further instill pelvic exam learning practices with the tenets of these approaches, including the introduction of gynecological teaching associates, female volunteers who undergo pelvic exams for educational purposes and provide feedback to medical students. However, curriculum shortcomings still exist. Gynecological teaching associate programs have been criticized for both consisting of predominantly white volunteers and, in some cases, maintaining practices that negatively impact volunteers. Another common yet problematic pelvic exam learning method occurs when medical trainees perform exams on patients under anesthesia without prior consent. This practice has garnered acceptance among students and clinicians despite its public characterization as a violation of patient autonomy and legislative moves to ban the practice. All this suggests that students may need improved exposure to patient-centered and culturally competent approaches to the pelvic exam before they interact with patient communities, ultimately in preclinical classroom settings. This study investigates text and visual-based learning materials on how to perform the pelvic exam in undergraduate medical school curricula. Materials such as these serve as the first introduction students have to the pelvic exam and form the foundation through which they later perform the procedure. Analyses of such materials provide important insight into the technical information given to thousands of medical professionals and messages therein may impact students' long-term beliefs and perceptions in medicine. Through a situational analysis of critically sampled documents, this study aims to fill a knowledge gap in medical education and provide information on if and or how text and visual-based pelvic exam learning materials could be improved upon to include more patient-centered and culturally competent approaches that may be lacking in later clinical learning. Part 2. Methods. I conducted a situational analysis of required text-based learning materials on the pelvic exam from undergraduate Canadian medical schools. Described as a quote, theory methods package, situational analysis has a strong history in feminist health research and is often considered an extension of the qualitative methodology of grounded theory. Where grounded theory aims to uncover basic social processes occurring within the data, a situational analysis incorporates an awareness of the overall situation of concern. Researchers go beyond the hard data to situate their topic within social structures, collectives, institutions, and histories slash present day realities. Situational analyses also draw on Foucault's post-structuralist theories of discursive power, that dominant discourses have the power to exclude or erase individuals, groups, 
knowledges, and perspectives. Whereas conventional qualitative analyses would result in descriptions of the content in these learning materials, a situational analysis situates my data in the realities of the pelvic exam for patients and trainees and brings to light how dominant discourses in these documents can shape students' perspectives and future clinical encounters. My data were purposefully sampled from the five largest undergraduate medical schools in Canada and composed of all required textbooks, clinical skills guides, and PowerPoint presentations that demonstrated to students how to perform the pelvic exam. These schools were selected because they trained the largest number of doctors in Canada. As a researcher situated in Canada, my goal was to provide overall curricular feedback on the pelvic exam for medical educators at a national level. Though this study focuses on Canadian medical schools, certain forms of standardization in learning exist in North American medical schools, and the results of this study could be generalized to medical schools across Canada and the United States. Data collection involved searching public websites, as well as reaching out to administrators, faculty, and or privacy officers at the medical schools and requesting, one, a list of any required textbooks for undergraduate medical students, and two, any internal materials used for learning clinical skills and or the teaching of the pelvic exam. Though questions arise as to whether students still refer to textbooks, only those that were specified as required purchases and or required reading were included. This allowed for an examination of pelvic exam learning materials that was as comprehensive as possible. The total number of materials that could contain depictions of pelvic exams was 28. After eliminating materials within this 28 that did not contain depictions of the pelvic exam and removing duplicates, a sample of 10 educational materials remained. Specific textbooks were accessed via McGill University Library, either online or in physical copy. Internal materials are listed anonymously given that they are not publicly available. To analyze the data, I employed positional mapping, one of the analytic tools of situational analysis commonly, commonly used in relation to discursive data. With position maps, data are qualitatively coded, but attention is paid to positions taken and silences in the discourses. These results are then plotted on coordinate maps, with the axes representing contested issues and the location of the plot point representing the position's prevalence. Rather than culminating in a theory, these maps allow for multiple positions as well as contradictions and absences within the data to be fully articulated. An initial reading of the samples was undertaken to become familiar with the set. The 10 samples were then imported into the qualitative data software Envivo, Envivo 12, QSR International USA, and the manual process of inductively coding the content, discourse and images, was carried out using the program's coding, also called nodes, framework. The analysis was guided by the following question. How are patients represented in pelvic exam learning materials used by medical students with respect to patient-centeredness and cultural competency. 
This in-depth process involved multiple passes of the data, applying primary and eventually secondary codes slash nodes, and the taking of detailed memos. The positions taken in the data emerged from the codes, whereas the silences materialized during the memo-making process. For instance, while making memos, I noted which concepts of the broader situation of concern, a patient-centered and culturally competent pelvic exam, may be limited or absent in the data. After several passes, and when new positions and silences were no longer emerging from the coding and memo-making process, what this method refers to as analytic sufficiency, the results were exported into a spreadsheet and organized into thematically related groups. From here, map axes were developed by identifying common areas of tension in the data. One, a clinical awareness of pelvic exam challenges versus the inescapability of patient discomfort. And two, the clinician's actions versus the patient's voice. Corresponding positions and silences were then plotted onto maps in Microsoft Word using templates suggested by this method. Because this study focused on analyzing documents and did not involve research or experimentation with human participants, ethics approval was not required as per the rules of the McGill Institutional Review Board in the Faculty of Medicine at McGill University. Part 3. Results Results of the situational analysis are depicted in two positional maps, figures S1 and S2. Below, I discuss three overarching themes from this analysis. Section 3.1, homogeneous and normative bodies, outdated language. The most prevalent theme that emerged from the data was a homogeneous and normative notion of the body. Both visually and discursively, patients were constructed as white, cisgendered, able-bodied, of childbearing age, and without a previous history of trauma in most, 80%, of the documents. Normative or standardized bodies are often preferred in medical training for learning foundational skills, which may partially explain this homogeneity. When bodily variation was mentioned, it was in reference to how, even within this normative construction, certain bodies can make the pelvic exam more challenging for the clinician. Quote, many virginal vaginal orifices admit a single examining finger. Similar techniques may be indicated in elderly women if the introitus has become atrophied and tight, end quote. Quote, the grave speculum has blades that are wider, higher, and curved on the sides. It is more appropriate for most Paris women. Its wider curved blades keep the looser vaginal walls of multi-Paris women separated for visualization, end quote. Quote, ovaries are difficult to palpate in obese or poorly relaxed women, end quote. The language choices here are indicative of sexist and unnecessarily sexualized discourse. The social construct of female virginity is upheld, multi-paris women are described as vaginally loose, and women, suggested to be the sole receiver of pelvic exams, are quote-unquote poorly relaxed, rather than the procedure being challenging to tolerate, for instance. 
Here one can note a lack of cultural competency in the materials, both with respect to homogeneous, non-diverse depictions of patients, and with the use of outdated and often stigmatizing terms and concepts related to the female body. These discourses serve to perpetuate gender and sexuality stereotypes in medicine and in society more broadly. Though most of the documents depicted normative notions of the body, two internal guides did overtly refer to diverse patients, one emphasizing a gender-inclusive approach for queer and trans patients, and the other dedicating two pages to the principles of trauma-informed care, inclusive of Indigenous and LGBTQ perspectives. Section 3.2, Limited Patient Agency and Preferences. Underscored in all documents was the notion that patients were not in control of deciding whether the pelvic exam was to be performed. If the clinician had determined that a pelvic exam was indicated, it was to occur. The following examples from two textbooks and one internal guide demonstrate this authority. Quote, explain to the patient your plans for the exam, end quote. Quote, everything that is going to happen during the pelvic examination should be explained before it occurs, end quote. Quote, obtain permission from the patient to proceed, end quote. Here, the examination has been decided upon independent of patient input. Though patient consent or permission, as it was sometimes phrased, is mentioned, it is within the construct of the examination already being in motion or decided on. Clinical authority was so prevalent in the documents that none suggested what to do if a patient declined an examination. No alternative courses of actions were suggested for apprehensive patients. When patient agency was represented in the documents, 40%, it occurred with respect to how the patient could customize an already occurring procedure, use of a mirror, wearing shoes during the procedure, or using technological devices for distraction. Recent and arguably more effective options known to improve pelvic exam experience were absent, forgoing the bimanual examination in routine circumstances, excluded from all but one, disuse of footrests, self-insertion of speculum and or self-swabbing techniques. In this regard, although the materials upheld a tenet of patient-centered care, respect for some patient preferences, they were inadequate in alerting students to all options, including those known to improve the examination for specific populations. Conclusions from previous studies have identified medical training as the ideal introduction to novel pelvic exam options, given their current lack of uptake in clinical practice. Students may otherwise never be exposed to these techniques, if not in these source materials. Section 3.3, patients are vulnerable and experience limited capacity at specific stages during the pelvic exam. A clear theme that emerged from the data was patient vulnerability related to the clinician and or trainee during the clinical portion of the pelvic exam. Discourses in the data demonstrated that there were two distinct social components of the pelvic exam, the before slash after and the during.
The following example demonstrates how patient engagement, such as the ability to ask questions, give permission, and receive results, is heavily indicated in the before slash after component, and how being unclothed signifies both a vulnerability and a disruption to the capacity of the patient. Examples. Before. Ask her. Permission. Previous negative experiences. Did you know what to expect? Do you want me to demonstrate on a model or show you any of the equipment? Offer a second person in the room. Nurse. Family member. Gather all needed equipment. Leave a blue pad and drape for her to cover up with. While she is clothed. After. Reassure her if it's all normal before leaving the room. Allow her to dress first before you discuss findings, treatment, need for intervention, etc. Give her tissues, towels. Remove all equipment from immediate eyesight before leaving the room. End of example. Themes of vulnerability during the procedure also apply to the clinicians. Several documents highlighted how clinicians, specifically trainees and or males, must have chaperones unknown to the patient in the room for, quote, medical legal protection. In the second component of the examination, the procedure itself, discourses shifted away from patient comfort and towards the clinical steps of the pelvic exam. An amount of clinical focus during depictions of any procedure for learning purposes is to be expected. Though texts had earlier highlighted the need for patient communication during the procedure, often this concept was either one, not referenced at all during the clinical steps, or two, expressed as statements rather than permission-seeking questions or opportunities for dissent, i.e., you are going to feel touch let the patient know you are about to insert the speculum, and inform the patient she may feel an uncomfortable scraping sensation. It could be said that these materials diverged in their approach between the two components of the pelvic exam. Patients and patient engagement were centered in the before slash after, whereas clinical skills were centered during. Part four, discussion. My analysis demonstrates that text and visual-based learning materials on how to perform the pelvic exam sampled from Canadian undergraduate medical schools inadequately represent patients with respect to the tenets of patient-centered care and cultural competence set out in this study's framework. Patient diversity, respect via language, preferences, and agency were all limited in depictions of a procedure where these concepts arguably carry added weight and may not be introduced to students in other forms of learning. Classroom materials such as these may illustrate a single component of medical education. However, I argue that these depictions still matter here and for the medical curriculum more broadly. With respect to patient-centeredness, this model of care has repeatedly been identified as an important aspect of the entire medical curriculum, with research demonstrating that exposure to the patient perspective significantly improves medical students' confidence and retention of information. As mentioned, the pelvic exam is an exceptional procedure for both patients and students. If patient-centered approaches were to be emphasized in procedural learning materials, 
it could be presumed that the pelvic exam should be at least one priority. What we learn from their exclusion is that these cases may speak to deficiencies in other fields where patient-centeredness has been identified as imperative. Patients with chronic pain, disabilities, or terminal illness, or in obstetrics, for instance. Students have reported that patient-centeredness needs to be more explicitly taught throughout the curriculum, and undergraduate curricula have been shown to be more inclined towards disease-based perspectives over patient-centered ones. The results of this study demonstrate that classroom learning materials could be one aspect of medical education where patient-centeredness could be improved upon. With respect to cultural competency, the analysis from this study demonstrates that further work may be needed to diversify patient depictions in the medical curriculum. This aligns with other findings on this topic. Racial homogeneity in learning materials from other fields of medicine, such as dermatology, has been noted to impede diagnostic skills of students, for instance. It has also been noted that the absence of certain populations, even at the level of technical materials, may inform the association doctors make between race and disease risk, thereby maintaining or exacerbating existing health disparities. North American medical students report that a small amount of time is dedicated in the undergraduate curriculum to topics related to LGBTQ patients, and that they feel unprepared to provide appropriate counseling to this population. According to feminist theorists, homogeneous depictions of patients in medical education are considered a form of neocolonialism and perpetuate a logic of eugenics designed to serve some bodies instead of all. Comprehensive resources, including classroom materials, have been identified as a critical method for improving cultural competency in students by heightening their awareness of and comfort in interacting with diverse patient groups. The results of this study reveal one aspect of the curriculum where patient representation needs to be improved, pelvic exam classroom materials, but also serves as a broader example of how cultural competency skills may need further emphasis across all stages of medical training. In terms of limitations of this study, the scope of this project allowed for a critical case sampling, and it must be noted that jurisdictional variations across school curricula do exist. As previously mentioned, certain deficiencies present in this discursive data may be addressed elsewhere in medical training. Further research into the subject could examine learning materials more extensively from both a breadth perspective, i.e. more documents and or ethnographic observations of learning in classrooms and standardized patient sessions, and a sample perspective, i.e. more schools. Future studies could also interview medical students about their learning experiences with respect to their knowledge and awareness of patient perspectives with the pelvic exam with other exceptional procedures, or in general. Part 5. Conclusion The teaching of the pelvic exam has posed and continues to pose challenges in medical education. Text and visual-based curricula represent one facet of how medical students learn, but discourses in these materials matter, and their interpretations can impact the experiences and health outcomes of various patient communities. It is for these reasons that, even at the basic level of textbooks and technical skills guides, 
patient-centered and culturally competent approaches must be further emphasized both here in this case study of the pelvic exam, as well as in the medical curriculum more broadly. Pelvic exam training has come a long way and efforts are still being made to improve its teaching as reflected in the study's outlier cases. But progress towards more diverse and inclusive practices is never finite and biomedicine is no exception. Curricula need constant analysis and improvement, and depictions of the pelvic exam and other exceptional procedures may require specific attention. Mm -hmm.